Shalom. I used to live in Washington, D.C. And when you go to parties, back when we went to parties, there was this funny thing that would happen. True story, I kid you not. You'd be at a party, and the person would start to make, like, I don't know, it looked like a flamingo mating ritual. Like, they would, like, sort of bob their head around your shoulder. They wouldn't look at you. They weren't looking at you. And they would go like this. And what it turned out was, is they were looking behind you to see if there was someone more important than you that they should be talking about. And my friends and I ended up calling this the Beltway Shuffle. And it's a, a thing, like a real thing, even a common thing. I was talking to Rabbi David up at Romulu and he was at St. Bart's for a wedding. And he told me it happened to him over the weekend. <laughs> Now, there's a question, and the question is, is this merely kind of gross, or does it point at something deeper? I mean, I don't know, maybe some people would speak on behalf of them, behalf of this custom, but I'm sure not in public. And one could say that, all right, this is an annoying thing that certain kinds of people do, but maybe we should look no further, but I want to make an argument. I want to argue with you. It's actually a real problem, a real problem. And it points to something that I have a hard time counting. And I'll explain. The way that I realize that this kind of behavior, this always sort of looking over the shoulder of the person in front of you to find something better or to achieve your goal, or to self-actualize and get all the obstacles out of the way. The way I realized that I think it's actually incredibly toxic was through this week's Parsha. And this is one of my favorites, Toldot, which means stories. It's the story of Yitzchak and Rivkin, Isaac and Rebecca, the second generation of the holy ancestors. And between you and me, my favorite. And here's why. Yitzchak and Rivka, like all of the Jewish foremothers and forefathers, struggled with infertility. All of the original three generations had difficult times with infertility. Actually, I had meant to sort of mention this before that I would be bringing this up. Please forgive me. If this is a particularly painful subject for you, I will totally understand if uh, this is the room that you don't want to be in right now. I had meant to say something ahead of time. I know there are tons and tons of people in our community all the time who face this. And at a certain point in time, what becomes clear is that Rivka asks her husband, Yitzchak, to pray, to pray for her. He, in some way, is close to God. And he does something astounding. What he does is when she makes this request of him, he actually lays down on the floor, stretches himself out on the floor. And she lays down next to him. This is a teaching of the Midrash, of the rabbis. Maybe one of the most beautiful Midrashim that I've ever read. They lie down together, next to each other, close to each other. I can only imagine staring into each other's eyes. Because one of the things that we know about Yitzchak and Rivka is that they love each other. It's the first time in the Torah that we hear about spousal love. And Yitzchak opens his mouth and he says, Rabbanu Shalom, master of the world, if I am to have any children, 
I only want them to be with this righteous woman right here. And Rivka opens her mouth and she says, Rabbonu Sha'olam, master of the world, if I am to have any children, I only want them to be with this righteous person right here in front of me. And as they lay down on the floor, the Torah tells us that God was floored by this entirely novel and absolutely beautiful act of faith through intimacy. Yitzchak and Rivka love each other. And what they do is they basically say, we're going nowhere without each other. There will be no solution. There will be no propagation of the Jewish people unless both of us are involved. They both know the stakes, right? Think of the generation previous and what it took to get us here. All of it is riding on Isaac and Rebecca to keep the chain going. And they say, it's not going unless both of us are part of it. God loves chutzpah like that. I believe that each of the four mothers and four fathers had their own form of spiritual genius. Yitzchak and Rivka were geniuses of faith through intimacy. They saw each other. They were next to each other. It's a beautiful thing. Where do they learn this from? Who taught them how to reach a kind of level of compassion and closeness that brought them together rather than apart in the hardest of moments that a couple may face? It was Avram and Sarah. They're Isaac's mother and father. And was it because Avram and Sarah were also good at this? No, they were terrible at it. Look, this is very hard for me to say, because I actually love Avram and Sarah. And I think of them as the great ones, the founders. They had greatness. But the problem with having greatness is that the things that you do for bad are also great and terrible. And they did terrible things, because in the pursuit of the generations, in order to found Judaism, for the fact that we're all here, what each of them did was throw away another human being. First, it's Sarah. She sees that they don't have children, and so she enlists a surrogate, Hagar, and they have a child. And when Sarah gets pregnant, the minute that baby is born, she takes the surrogate's child, she takes Yishmael, and she throws him into the desert, exiles him, casts him out. And by the way, the wound of that parting between the children of Yitzchak, excuse me, the children of, uh, yeah, the children of Yitzchak and the children of Yisrael is still hurting us to this day. It was horrible what she did. The way she was willing to sacrifice a mother and a child for the sake of her succession. And Avram, who I love, do you think he's any better? He's willing to give up his son. I'm a parent, so you get like teary about these things. In order to establish, in order to make God know that he is faithful, he's willing to kill his son. 
so awful is that moment that when Sarah hears about it, she dies from the shock. The shofar blast that we say on Rosh Hashanah, that we hear on Rosh Hashanah, is the sound that Sarah made when she heard the news of the almost sacrifice of Isaac. And the Torah teaches us that father and son never spoke to each other again. Avram comes to mourn his wife by himself. The only time that Yitzchak and Avram are ever in each father's presence is when Avram dies. And Yitzchak and Mishnah come back together to bury their father. And so Avram gains his legacy. He gains the entire world and loses it at the same time. Do you know what I'm saying? It's this horrible paradox. He has everything and nothing because of the choices that he made. There is, <laughs> the whole world is telling us all the time that what we need to do is pursue our own greatness, to be self-actualized, right? To strip away the obstacles from our path and to do what we need to do to become the people and to make the impact and to leave the legacy that we know we can, but those obstacles have first and last names. And how often am I, are you, looking over the shoulder of the people that you love most in this world in order to get what you think you want. How many times have you been looked over yourself? Far be it from me to tell another person that they shouldn't pursue their greatness. But if I had a choice, and I do, between the life of Abraham and the life of Isaac, of Sarah and Rebecca. I choose Rebecca and Isaac every single time. Shabbat Shalom.